Now, I think we're all a little bit this way. I hate to say it, but I think we're actually quite skillful at the art of making excuses. Uh, we've learned a few that we can get away with, and we use them pretty regularly, I'm afraid, like, uh, I don't know how, or uh, I didn't understand what you said, uh, when really we should have learned, if, especially if it was an assignment, uh, either by a job or by a teacher. Uh, voices uh, told me to stay home and clean my guns. It's not really appropriate. Uh, I thought that was a funny one, though. I hurt my back bowling. Uh, I have a doctor's appointment. You've heard that one. Uh, the hazmat crew is still here and they won't let me out of the house. Um, I heard this one, and, and don't judge me for this. I read this one this week and I thought, I don't know if I can share this one or not. My wife doesn't know I'm going to use this one, so I'm probably in trouble. It says, I accidentally took two X-Lax and two Prozac. I can't get off the John, but I feel good about it. I don't know who would tell their boss that, but I wouldn't brag about the Prozac. Believers are, it's not just that we do that with work and we make excuses for work and or school, but believers often make excuses for not participating or not obeying the Lord. Uh, it's, people will say things like, well, isn't that the preacher's job? Or uh, it's not really my gift. I'm not really gifted in that area. Um, and, and people are okay with me using that whenever it comes to song leading, I've noticed. Uh, and I, I've already served, let someone else serve. I've served my time. Maybe it's time for someone else to serve is one of the excuses I've heard. But the one we hear the most is either I'm too busy or I'm too tired or I'm too old or I'm too young. And uh, excuses kind of reveal an attitude that prevents the success that we should be having. Ben Franklin, y'all know who he is, right? He wrote, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Hmm. Uh, Gabriel Murer, if that's the way you pronounce it, that's French, so I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't speak French, except when I'm in Alabama. But uh, he's a French grammarian, and he said, he who excuses himself accuses himself. You have to think about that one a minute. Uh, Jesus said this, and he's maybe somebody you're familiar with. John four thirty five. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Stop making excuses. Look around. Get busy. Jeremiah had every excuse, it seems, ready for when God called him. So we're going to look at about three things. Uh, let's try to get motivated to fight this excuse-making thing that's within us. Because I think we all tend to want to rev it up occasionally and say, uh, make excuses for why I'm not doing maybe what I could be doing or should be doing. I'm going to just give you three tonight, three excuses if this works. Uh, the number one, one that's used by Jeremiah here is, my task is really too big. Jeremiah 1 verses 4 and 5 says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. That means basically to the world. It wasn't just to the Jews, but to the whole world. Jeremiah was a special prophet to the whole world. So uh, is that something that other people have done, uh, trying to make excuses about literally he, that I'm not up to? It. That's too big of a challenge for me. 
Uh, well, Moses, when he was called, says, well, who am I, Lord, that I should go? Uh, Jonah said, uh, I don't think I'm going to go help. I think I'm going to go the other direction. And so there have been similar excuses used for not doing what God's called you to do. But if God, according to this text, and, and I do not believe Jeremiah was special here. A lot of people seem to think that this was a one-off. I don't believe that's true at all. I believe God formed you in the womb. I think God saw your future ahead of you. If he can see the future, he knew your future. So, so if God formed in us all and set us apart, is anything really too big for us to do? Uh, Joseph, for example, I mean, he might have argued that when he was young. Surely you don't want me to do that. So he was never told what he was assigned to do, but he found out later. In Genesis 50 and verse 20, you meant evil against me. So I didn't understand what God was doing, sending me down as a slave in Egypt. But you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And now Joseph understands it. And he says, to save many people alive. Joseph is basically responsible for almost saving the entire world population in the, in the civilized world at the time. If you knew that you would be the one that would save nearly the entire civilized world, that would sound like a job too big, wouldn't it? But it wasn't for him. What about Jesus himself? I mean, Jesus was a man after all, right? Was he fully a man? And John three sixteen still says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So basically, Jesus was sent here to save the world, and he was only 30 when he started. Oh, to be 30 again, amen? 30 again. I was talking to you, Jonte. Uh, so <laughs> Romans 8 and verse 28 says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord to those who are called according to his purpose. We need to believe that God can pull off whatever he really wants us to do. We're not, the, the problem is not too big. The task is not too big. Uh, Ephesians 1 and verse 11 says, Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It may not make you feel comfortable, but God is engaged in making his will come true. You may not see it. You may look around in this world and say it's all chaotic. He is bringing about exactly what he wants done. Whether you're in on it or not, whether you agree with him or not, whether you like what's happening or not, he's bringing to pass. Here's the thing. Is anything he would ask you and me to do too big for us? So let's subdue this excuse. My task is just too big. I, I can't do that. Second one that he uses is my talent is too small. He says, verse 6 and 7, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. I'm too young. I don't know how old exactly he was here, but it's likely that he was younger than 30. Verse 7 at this point. But the Lord said to me, did, do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. A lot of times young people in the church don't feel like they're a part of the church. Because you're young. 
Church belongs to you just as much as it belongs to anybody here. Amen? Doesn't matter what your age is. If you're a member of the church, you're a member of the church, you're a member of the kingdom of God. And you're a part of it. Uh, but it's not uncommon. Moses said, well, I can't speak. And he said, I, I'm slow of speech. And even Solomon said, well, I'm, I'm just a youth. I need wisdom. And the Lord gave him wisdom. But it's a common excuse. My talent is just too small for what it sounds like you're expecting me to do, Lord. And so sometimes maybe you're asked to teach a class and you say, well, I've never taught a class. That's not really my gift. How do you know until you try it? It's like song leading. How do you know until you try it? I have tried it and all the brethren agree. No, that's not your gift. But if, if God sees and knows what we shall do, can it be true that my talent is too small? It cannot be true. David, for example, was only a youth when he went against a giant. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, David said, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Hashem. I come to you in the name of the Lord. That's my power. He didn't say, I come to you because I'm really a good rock thrower with a sling. I'm really good at that. He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord. Uh, Paul was a persecutor. And yet in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, it says, The Lord said to Ananias, he said, uh, He is a chosen vessel to bear my name before the Gentiles. And I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. But he's going to do what I send him to do. He's going to do it. He, he probably doesn't even think he can do it. I know you don't think he can do it. It's really early now. He hasn't even been baptized yet. But he's going to do what I send him out to do. And he's going to be tougher than he thinks because I'm going to make sure he suffers while he's doing it. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me. This is Paul speaking now. Who has enabled me. He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. So yeah, he wasn't ready for what he was facing, but guess who enabled him? And then Philippians 4 and verse 13, he later says it this way, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So this idea about my, well, my talents, not what other people's talents are. I'm just not good enough to do it. Let me put it this way. I'm not a good song leader. But if none of you would do it, I'd be leading singing tonight. And you'd be paying for it. I've led singing. I ain't afraid of it. I ain't afraid to lead singing. I don't care if you make fun of my singing. I've got people that I love dearly that thinks I'm horrible at this. And I'm not going to name a one of them. Let's subdue the excuse that my talent is too small. Amen? Let's do whatever the Lord's calling on me. And number three, my temerity, my timidity is too weak. I'm just too timid to do things. Look at verse eight. Do not be afraid of their faces. One of the problems, and I'm going to talk about being a preacher just a second, okay? One of the problems when you first become a preacher is you're young, okay? And you're wet behind the ears. Cut your legs off, stick them in the ground, and you'll sprout. I'm telling you, you're that green. So, I mean, really, but you believe everything you're saying, right? It's 100% the case. But I'll tell you what, brethren can be tough. And you don't know that? It's probably because you were one of the tough ones. But they can be tough. 
and they will face you down. And they will scowl at you from the audience. They will look at you like they could cut you in two. And some of them would have you fired 10 years ago. In my case, 23. But that's reality. And look at what he says to him. Do not be afraid of their faces. Why would he say that to him? Because these are brethren he's talking to. Hello? Exactly. And brethren always think they're right just like everybody else. And they often aren't. But they think they know more Bible than they often do. And I know that's probably offending some of you who think you know more Bible than you actually do. But you need to hear that. Whether it's comfortable or not. He says, do not be afraid of their faces. For I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Verse 17. Therefore, prepare yourself and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces. So don't act scared, lest I dismay you before them. So if you're going to speak, young men, don't ever act afraid and don't be afraid. Say what the Word of God says and don't apologize for it. Ever. Ever. Now, Moses said, oh, they won't believe me. Peter said, I'm a sinful man, O Lord, depart from me. All those things are true of everybody. Nobody is actually qualified to preach. Nobody's actually qualified to teach. Nobody's actually qualified to lead the Lord's Supper. Nobody's actually qualified to be an elder. Nobody's actually qualified to be a deacon. Nobody's actually qualified to be a youth minister. Nobody's actually qualified to be a Christian. We do these things not because we're perfect. We do these things because God has called us to do them. And God wants us to engage and not just be pew sitters that excuse everything we do and blame everybody else for it. We've got to be more. But if God knows what and who we face, is my temerity ever too weak? Huh. If you know the Lord's with you, why should you be afraid of anything? The righteous are as bold as a lion. Don't back off of nothing. Peter said uh, he was about to be killed because he'd already killed James. He must have been terrified. Herod was about to kill him. It says Acts 12 verses 2 through 10. I won't read all that. Verse 6. Herod was about to bring him out. He'd already killed James. He'd heard that, you know, the Jews really liked it that he killed James. So Christians can die. You can be ruined. Things can go wrong. Herod was about to bring him out. That night, Peter, the terrified Peter, was asleep. (laughs) Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. I love that. Church is praying all night long. What's he worried about? He's sleeping. I love it. Don't you love that? I absolutely love that. What the best time in the world to sleep is right before they're going to execute you. Why would you be awake worrying about it? If you're going to be executed, the best thing you can do is go to sleep. If you're going to die tonight, the best thing for you to do is not stay up and pray. 
the best thing for you to do is go to bed and go sleep. Who, who would rather be awake when they die as asleep? Which one you want? I want to be asleep when it happens. Anybody else with me on that? I really don't want to go. You know, I want to just, you know, I want to go, go to meet the Lord in my sleep. Not like, you know, like grandpa did, not like the people in his car going over that cliff. So I want, so Peter was asleep. Paul was said to be killed by lions, it says. 2 Timothy 4, verse 17. And it says, the Lord stood with me. We don't know anything about this except this text. The Lord stood with me, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. I don't know what happened there, except what it says. Sounds to me like he got delivered out of the mouth of a lion. In Acts chapter 4, and verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John... And perceive that they were uneducated and untrained. And let me, let me explain something here. Now, a lot of people think boldness is arrogance. They are wrong. Arrogance is not willing to heed what the scriptures say. Not willing to humble yourself when you've been found to be in sin. Standing for what God says is called boldness. And that offends people who are arrogant. Stay with me. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had, what? Been with Jesus. That'll make you bold. I got a lesson coming about boldness soon, so I don't want to talk much more about that. Acts 4 verse 29 says, Now, Lord, look on their uh, threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. I'm going to actually talk about that in a week or two here. But let's subdue these excuses of I'm afraid, I'm scared, I'm afraid to stand up, I'm afraid to teach a class, I'm afraid to be a deacon, I'm afraid to be an elder, I'm afraid to be a preacher, I'm afraid to take that on, I'm afraid, I don't know enough about it. I'm scared. It scares me to death. Let's deal with that. Here's the truth. If God is God and he's dealing with a young man named Jeremiah who felt much the same. He thought his task was too big. He thought his talent was too small and he thought his temerity was too weak. He thought he would be scared to death in front of everybody and the Lord speaking to him and said, none of that's true. You'll be fine. So The works in our spiritual lives work when we quit making excuses. And that's also true, by the way, in your secular life. Stop making excuses. Step up. Some of you would be making more money right now if you weren't so afraid. You'd have a better job than you've got right now if you just weren't afraid. It isn't that you don't have the talent. It isn't that you don't have the skill. It isn't that you can't learn it. Take on the better job. You say, well, I don't want it. Well, if you don't want the job, that's a different thing. But it's because of these excuses, that's a whole different thing too. But when we use this in our spiritual lives and our secular lives, there's a powerful witness opportunity that comes. Because when you do step out, people notice. And when you step out and people notice, you can speak a word for the Lord. And that's what you should do. You should speak up for him and say things for him. And that means taking a stand. And it's not easy to take a stand. It's not easy to be a Christian. It's not easy. I'll tell you what, it ain't easy to choose to be a preacher. I'll never forget when at school, I think I was in the eighth grade, they asked all the kids in the class, what you going to be when you grow up? And I said, a preacher. And the entire class laughed and kept laughing for about a week. Laughed at me for about a week. That's fine. 
You should try it sometime. Yeah. But, but it's still what we should do. All right, let me get to this last thing. Oh, you've seen all that. Telemachus. Uh, according to the historian, the Christian historian, uh, historian Theodort, uh, he tried to stop a gladiator fight in the Roman amphitheater. In fact, uh, Honorus was emperor of Rome in 404 when this happened. There was a vast crowd at one of the contests in Rome, and a Syrian Christian named Telemachus saw them, somebody being killed. He was at the games, and gladiators were killing somebody. I mean, this really went, went on, right? You know, this is not make-believe. This is really the history of man. You think football's violent. You think boxing's violent. Both of those are probably wrong. But we won't go there right now. Especially since I'm wearing a gator tie. So, but a Syrian Christian named Telemachus leaped into the Colosseum floor. He was so torn by the disregard for the value of human life that he cried out and got everybody's attention. In the name of God, this thing is not right. In the name of God, this thing must stop. And he kept shouting it. In the name of God, this thing is not right. In the name of God, this thing must stop. Now, let me ask you a question now. Would you agree with him? I do. Totally agree. That's easy for you to do it now. What if you've been in the stands? Here's what happened. The spectators became so enraged at him. They started picking up stuff around him and started throwing stuff at him. They were throwing rocks. They were put, putting bottles. They were throwing everything they had at him until it just about knocked him out that way. Then gladiators stepped forward and they killed him with a sword. And everybody's cheering. And then suddenly, a hush fell over the ground. For the first time, the people in the Roman Empire realized how insatiable their bloodthirst was. And a horror felt on the people. What had they just called entertainment? This is the beginning, according to history, of the end of the Roman games. This is it. It took one person that was willing to go on record for everybody. This thing is not right. In the name of God, this thing must stop. And it took his life. I want to tell you something. That was a great thing to do. We need more telemachus. More people willing to stand up and die for peace. Die for unity. Die for good. Die with a world indifferent about you dying. But die in such a way that the world might be made different. Die to save lives. Die to save the world. Stop making excuses. Stop all your excuses. Stop saying, I, I, I just, no, I won't do that. Do something. Make a difference. Be brave. Be as bold as a lion. Do something for the Lord. Especially, we need to defeat all these excuses. Amen. Don't we need to be people that don't excuse ourselves? Stand up to who we, sh- we really are. Stop excusing ourselves. And take a stand like Telemachus. Jesus sure made a stand, didn't he? He made that stand for you. Aren't you glad Jesus was willing to make a stand? Aren't you willing that he didn't make an excuse? Oh, Lord, you know, they're going to hurt me. 
They might kill me. He didn't make an excuse at all. He didn't like it. But he took it. For you and for me. And he left us an example that we should follow in his steps. Now, he not only left us an example following his steps, but he left a call to us that we might be saved before we're as brave as a Telemachus. So you don't have to be that brave tonight. But you have to be brave enough to give your life to the Lord, to repent of your sins, confess the name of Christ. We had a young lady this morning do that. We're rejoicing. Praise the Lord. You can do the same if you want to while we stand, while we sing. Won't you come?